back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Warm welcome from me, Mark Woods, to the latest edition of the MVP Cast. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's brought to you in association with Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for a whole range of environmental issues at tecompliance.co.uk. Now, our guest this time out currently has one of the longest tenures at one club within the BBL. He's part of a family dynasty, but also one of those players who are so vital to clubs up and down the land, a homegrown talent at his local team contributing on and off the floor. Johnny Bunyan, welcome to the MVP cast. Hi Mark, how you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How has lockdown been for you? Uh, lockdown's a, an interesting time for everyone. Um, I've got a, a basically a full-time job delivering parcels, which I never thought would be something I'd say in my life, so lockdowns are very interesting for me. I mean, and we say that longest tenure, but of course, yeah, that's that's where you're doing it right now. You're you're out of contract, waiting for a deal to come. Like so many players, how do you how do you approach those off seasons? Because you've been quite fortunate. The Rocks have been quite loyal in getting deals done for you quite early. But you know, as as a player who's you know, let's say not a starting five player, you know, consistently, and you're always waiting for maybe a one year deal, occasionally a two year deal. How do you? What's the vibe when you go into summers? Is there that nervousness there of will will this be my last season? What what's gonna happen? Um, I mean maybe I don't know if it's just my personality. I've never I've never been overly worried about that. Um and you know, I'm, it's not because of any great self confidence in my ability to play basketball or anything. <laughs> it's more just it's more just because you know, I think that if there's a, a the rocks team there, I'm pretty confident that They'll want some Scottish guys there. Um, I think it's always a good score, a good story to have Scottish players on the team. You know, especially a small ginger guy maybe to give the kids uh, an idea that it's it's not out of the the realms of possibility to, to be a player on the team. Um, but I don't tend to want to get too worried about it. If if they want me there, you know, they know I'm gonna they know I'm gonna be around. Um, so I don't think there's much point in, in worrying about it that much. Is that something you can take pride in being that role player? Because a lot of kids, especially in Scotland, you know, they look at the Americans and they come in and it's you know the glamour of it all and the sort of foreign accents and all that. But you're the guy that sort of comes from their patch, looks like them, you know, not quite as you know, towering above, etc. I mean, do, do you do you understand the value of being that kind of role model? Yeah, I think it's something that I've probably learn to value more as I've grown up um, and you're right I think the, the American players are definitely seen as kind of uh, cool they're you know they've came from America they've got these accents um, you know etc etc but I think when you're a Scottish player there's not many people that that know the kind of trials and tribulations I guess that being a Scottish player involves um, until you're you're there and you're on your court and you're kind of doing the same as you're playing the same and you're doing the same as the rest of these guys so for me being I've been a I've been a player who's had to score a lot of points for some teams I've been on but for the Rocks it's it's kind of been the same role and, and to be honest it's a role that I, I enjoy you know point guard bring the ball up the court kind of direct traffic a little bit and 
it's something that I've really kind of enjoyed doing and then if there's like an occasional game where you need to step up and you know a few shots or whatever then I've always been you know at least half capable in doing that. Do you find that I mean you know you 2001 was when you first joined the Rocks and you, know, you had that long period when Sterling Davis was, was player coach and then coach and now it's you know, four coaches in four years it's set to be a fifth with, with Vincent Levandier leaving. Is, is there a certain role for you there and this might apply I guess to Gareth Murray as well but you know as a kind of guardian of, of some kind of club culture or DNA? Yeah I, I would hope so um it's always difficult to to say that um, when in the BBL there's it's associated with a lot of turnover from year to year um, with players. Some some teams more than other. We're fairly fairly lucky that me and Gareth have have been around for a long time. Um, but there is still a lot of turnover from year to year, and um, I think as I've grown and kind of became more established within the club, I feel a bit more at ease. You know, being a bit of a, a leader within the team, and not necessarily you know leader by stepping on the court and and you know scoring and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's more just you know this is how we kind of do things here. Um, this is the kind of stuff we believe in, and it, it has gotten a lot easier as I've grown older to kind of do that um, earlier on in the season. Whereas I think when I was younger, it would it would always take me at least four or five months to really kind of establish myself within the team. Um, but I find that a bit easier to do that earlier on now. What are those conversations like, particularly with you know guys maybe coming into the country for for the first time? How how do you sort of, I guess, I don't know if wisdom is the right word, but sort of passing on that sort of thread of this is how we do things here. Um, I mean, I think it's more just by what we do on a day to day basis. You know, we 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 come and we always we're on time for training. You know, we give great effort in training um, there's not a lot of we never try to be too disrespectful to anyone whether that's coaches, GMs or whatever we're just there to do our job and no matter what the kind of other things that we do like we've had a lot of community work over the years and we've always tried to make sure that the guys even though it might be a bit of a pain sometimes to do it you know we have to do that professionally we have to do it well um, so it's just kind of really seriousness on the court with basketball training but then outside of your training times you know we like to have a good time as well we take the guys out for food uh, try and organize a couple of events with them try and teach them some scottish language which you know, may not be a good language for the podcast but you know we try and we try and you know get them involved and you know because they hear as soon as you open your mouth and they hear you're talking they have no idea what you're saying you know but it's it's, a, it's if me ali and gareth are having a conversation between each other, you can see the other guys like, oh, that's not how they talk to me. Like, that's, you know, they have to really slow it down for me. So just try and, you know, involve them in, in any way you can and um, let them know that, you know, we're a pretty serious club, but at the same time, we like to have fun and, you know, we like to have a bit of banter. Decade at the club, who's who's been the best teammate that you've had? Um, well, I mean, EJ really like, EJ Harrison made it very easy for me to, to adapt to being a, a basketball player for the Rocks, he was a he was just a great guy through and through. Um, I couldn't say a single bad word about EJ. You know, it was never anything about you know he's a veteran and you're a rookie or whatever. He just completely 
adopted anyone who came into the team and kind of, you know, he, he was a funny guy as well. He used to play jokes on guys and I learned a lot of funny stuff to do for guys from EJ. Um, so he was he was a great influence on me. And then kind of, there's been a lot of great guys through the years. Um, you know, like Will Hall, I've still got a great friendship with Will Hall. Um, guys like Andy Wedemeyer, my first season, he was a good guy and, Oh, there's just a lot, you know, Bo was a great guy, Buna was a great guy, like all these people are, well, I don't think we've necessarily had, there's been a couple of, of teammates that I maybe would have taken or left, but um, on the vast majority they've all been great guys. Maybe touching on who those two were, but um, who's, the, <laughs> who's the craziest teammate you've had? Oh, the craziest is Jawan. Jawan Smith was, was downright out of this, out of my mind, he was like, actually, that's the thing, like, he was a very good guy, um, if he was in your team, like, if he was part of your team, he was loyal, uh, and, uh, but off the other time than that, John was a crazy guy, um, and Daniel Northern was a crazy guy as well, but again, all these guys are very loyal to the team, um, if you're in the team, it's just maybe they're attitude towards others for you like I wouldn't be doing that but you know if that's you on you go <laughs> every team's had them um, yeah. I mean Vance the Van let's talk about him obviously his departure to, to Avignon confirmed a couple of weeks ago and sum him up as a coach because you know, he's it, it seemed to me that despite occasionally being tough to understand he was he was very much a player's coach yeah definitely yeah. he's yeah, his um, he definitely writes his own stuff, and no one uh, edits it for him. Um, but I think if you can, if you can really try and understand what he's saying, you can see that he cares a lot about his players. Um, he cares a lot about the boxing well. Anyway, I think he, I think he got a really deep care for Scottish basketball with his association with Gareth. Um, and that's kind of led then on to myself and Ali and and Kieran for sure so he cares a lot about Scottish basketball and he definitely cares a lot about his players in general You went on the phone to him saying any any other jobs going to Avignon? <laughs> um, he actually phoned me um, I don't know when he phoned me he phoned me maybe a few days before he officially accepted that job or maybe a few days before they announced he was he was released I can't remember but uh, he he uh, he told me that, ah, you know, you're a good guy, Johnny. You're a good guy. You're one of my favourite players, but uh, I can only take two imports. And uh, Ali <laughs> and Gareth, he's a bit old now, so I take Ali. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I said, I said, don't worry, Vincent. I, I understand. It's not, it's not an issue. Do you? Yeah. I, mean, I suppose it's the question that's rumbled up and down this season. Should, let's get your take on it. Should the Rocks have got that league title? Oh, I mean... This is what I've always said when anyone says anything about the league title. It's like we were one of three teams who had the chance and every every team had their own battle in that league title left. We played the most games, had the most points, had the most wins, etc. But um, at the end of the day, our last three games were London, Leicester, Newcastle. Like that is, you know... <laughs> A crazy last three games to have. It's a great last three games to have because you know that is the league decider. Um, London were about to play. I think it was like five games in twelve days or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had a hectic. You know they had a hectic end to the season. Five games, twelve days. You would think that there's 
definitely room for a slip up there. And then Leicester had the most games out of anyone to play. You know, they were, I can't remember what they were, seven or eight games left or something mm-hmm. like that. So all three teams, in my opinion, that were in contention, you know, you can't say, no one could say one or the other was going to win because each team had a, a mountain to climb, if you like. But, um, you know, it's your fault that there was any controversy anyway, because I don't. It was you. Who, it was you who tweeted that thing out, and I don't think anyone before that weekend had even considered what might happen. And you put this tweet out, and suddenly we were like, "Ah, oh, let's finish first in the league at the end of this weekend and see what happens." The mathematical permutations of the win-loss percentage, I think, or something. Whatever. It was. Yeah, it was something like that, and we all seen that tweet, and we just rolled with it. So if it's anyone's fault, it's your fault. I'll, I'll, I'll take that as credit, Robin. Fault, but anyway, um, it must be though incredibly frustrating. I mean, everyone talks about the rocks for nearly twenty years, with, you know, without a trophy, and you know, it's, for you, I mean, you've had you've been on teams which have finished second before, but I mean, it must be unstru- extraordinarily frustrating to have got that close to not. I mean, it's an elusive trophy at all, but the elusive first ever league title to sit there and go, we were nearly there. Yeah, and it, you know, it's, it gets kind of more annoying the more you think about it. It's We were close and we, we had to put ourselves in a really good chance. I think the most annoying thing was, you know, leagues were getting cancelled around the world. Kind of, when was it? Was it on the kind of Thursday, Friday? Games were being postponed and we were like, you know, why are we travelling down to England to play two games just now? Like, it seems crazy. Like, everyone knows where this is headed, but we're having to go down and play these two games and they, they essentially became meaningless games, you know? So, like you said, it's been a long time since the, the club's won anything and that's certainly the closest that uh, that I've been to winning something, you know, literally just a few games away um, and in a great position. So, you know, I'll go about my day and I'll be fine and then you'll just kind of remember, it's like, oh, we were, you know, you were two or three weeks from maybe being a league champion. So, you know, it's annoying, but you need to move on with it. It's a very, it's, you know, it's still a serious thing in the world at the end of the day. No one knows when sport's going to be back to normal, when life's going to be back to normal. So you certainly can't worry too much about, you know, a BBL championship when there's such things going on like that. I mean, the rock center Duncan Smiley is talking about moving on, and you said you will move relatively quickly to, to appoint a new coach. I mean, the the, the favourites and the, I suppose the, I guess the obvious choice for all of us is Gareth Murray. I mean, you've you've played with him for, for a long time, for, for club and, and for Scotland as well. I've always viewed him as a, as a great coach in, in the making for his future. I mean, it's I'm sort of putting you on the spot here, but what has Gareth got that you might see from a day-to-day basis that could make him a really good head coach? Well, I think it's I think it's experience for sure. You know, different leagues, Commonwealth Games, GB teams. You know, he's he's almost he's almost done. You know, in his own way, he's seen almost all the kind of types of play you can have in the world. You know, European. He's seen NBA guys play. He's he's been in different leagues, so he's a a, a massive amount of experience and. But the game of basketball, um, he's been coaching himself for you know four years now, different leagues. You know, n- not anything the standard of the BBL, obviously. But you know, you need to get your coach experience somewhere. Um, so for me, it's more his his knowledge of the game, his knowledge of where players move, and at the end of the day, where he has the most experience is the BBL. You know, he knows 
the plays that work, the players that that will be successful. He knows, um, you know, different coaches. He he understands a lot of things about the BBL, and to me, he's he's about as qualified a person as we have in Scotland anyway to be a coach. Um, I would I would debate whether we have many coaches that are of any great value in Scotland, but he's definitely one of them in my opinion. So. You know, I don't know. I, I know he wants to do it at some point in his career. Whether he wants to do that as a player is probably a different story. Um, but I think that he will definitely take the reins over one day soon, hopefully, for me. Talking of, of coaches who've done good things in Scotland, let's talk about your dad and, and Falkirk Fury. Your dad, John, the patriarch of, of the club. And your brother, Keith, of course, famous you know player in, in his day for the, for the Rocks, you know, still there and playing through. I mean, it's a club that's produced probably at one point to produce more of the GB team than any other club, but apart from Bricks and Top Cuts, I mean, Kieran Achara came through it. Ali Fraser, you're, you're not a former Rocks teammate, came through it as well. <laughs> For those who don't know that much about, about the Fury, what, what's the setup and why has it been so good at nurturing young talent? Yeah, I mean, it basically just started because my dad wanted uh, my brother to have somewhere to play. My brother had a few friends, high school friends, and there wasn't really anything around Falkirk for him to play. Um, so that's how it started. And, you know, as much as how anyone who knows me would know, I'd love a, a joke or two at my dad's expense. But um, he he's he basically created, and that became one of the most powerful clubs in Scotland completely by himself. You know, he, he was the one who started it. He's the one who's saw it through all the way till now and, and continues to do so and um, it's really just a, a passion for basketball that my dad has and certainly my brother has has um, moved that on and thankfully we've been able to produce some some really good players like you said and I think my dad definitely has an eye for talent and he's definitely got an eye for developing talent um, there's nothing he wouldn't do for his players like if you know the you know the famous story I'm sure Kieran's told that a lot like Kieran was going to go work in Burger King and my dad said, no, you're you're going to be a basketball player and that's it. Um, so he definitely has a kind of bullish attitude towards it. But when it comes to basketball, a lot of the time he is actually right. Um, and that's, you know, created the fury is what it is today. And it's grown massively. It's now, you know, 14, 15, I'm going to get that wrong and he'll be annoyed at me, but it's about 14, 15 teams. It's, you know, a, a good few hundred kids and... Um, it's it's a very successful club who've had Scottish internationals, GB championships, so it's definitely something that I'm proud to be a part of. Um, this kind of Bunyan family, as strange as it sounds, to be proud of a, a Bunyan, but um, it's definitely something I'm proud of to be a part of, and um, it's it's still going from strength to strength. I think the Fury, and uh, it will keep doing so. I think. I should say also your sister Kim coaching coaching the women's team and some of the girls teams as well. I mean, it's part part of. What do you think? I mean, we we always talk about structures in 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 Britain, not just Scotland, and you know, getting clubs that work from from top to bottom, and you know, and could develop talent, give people opportunities to play, even if it's not you know, professionally, etc. What do you think other clubs could learn from? I mean, you see, you'd see your dad, and obviously this is this is something he does on the side; it's not his full time job, but, you know, etc. Well, it probably does seem like that for most of his past twenty years, but um, what? What what could clubs learn from a setup like that? That's that you go yes. If if holistically, I wanted to set up a a really good club. What what what's the lesson from that you've seen? 
for for me, I think it's his his ability to kind of. I mean, he's a very hard worker at the end of the day, but it's for me, it's about grassroots, and he, you know, his all he's kind of moved Fury from only having a senior men's program on senior men's and senior women's program and in the last kind of 10-15 years it's transitioned straight into right and down into primary schools and now you know I mean it probably helped that my, my brother had a couple of sons but now we have a full program for basically under eights you know it, it's, it's literally from as soon as people can almost kind of walk and control a basketball that they will be playing basketball um, in the club of some sort so I think you need to, you know, target the youth. Um, I think that's what they've done. And then I see a lot of teams around there, they might get, you know, a, a one good player or two good players and kind of really focus on them and, and try and push them, which is a great thing to do. But I think my dad's always kind of been like, you know, let's keep remembering that there's, you know, it's another year gone, another year gone, which is another batch of players that we can target, that we can get into the club. And, you know, so I th- it's difficult to pinpoint one thing for me, but he's an incredibly hard worker who never loses sight that there are more players out there that can be introduced to basketball. He wants to introduce as many players as he can and hopefully get a good percentage of them to stick at it, I think is is my take on why he's had the success he's had. I mean, you've done a lot of the school programmes through, you know, through the rocks over the years and you go in and... You know, I've been out occasionally at visits when clubs have gone out, and you know you can see the, you see them obviously in the court at half time when BBL teams are playing, and you know, sometimes the quality's pretty variable in terms of the skill set. And you compare it against America. You went there at the high school, so you you know seeing what level the kids are at. What what better do you think, or how can maybe BBL teams who and WBBL teams that get as, as well, how how better could we make those links where you've got you know because we always talked there was going to be farm systems and proper development systems for BBL clubs and that's never properly happened with Newcastle probably being the, and Leicester being the great exceptions and how, how do you better nurture that so those kids coming out of school or at primary school in particular go I get about not just getting a basketball in my hand but I properly get taught how to use this thing yeah I mean I think we, you think you kind of have to take a realistic view. Like I don't think you'll ever have a, a Scottish or English um, cluster of children that are ever going to take basketball as seriously as a cluster of American kids. Um, at the end of the day, because these, you know, I've been to America quite a lot, been a few times. I went over there to play for a year in high school. It's just ingrained in them that whatever sport they have, they will play it. You know, twelve hours a day. They go out and they find a outdoor court somewhere that's a lot easier to do in America, obviously. But um, and it's it's not just you know if you have a greatly talented Scottish player and you say right go and shoot on the outdoor court, they said that's fine. I'll take my pal. He'll rebound for me for a while. But you know these Americans, they have you know twenty people there who are playing in you know high intensity games outdoor court ten hours a day. You know and that level of competition is something that we miss in Scotland. I think so. I think there's a, a massive level of competition that we miss in Scotland and that we might never get. You know, if you're a great player in Scotland, you're probably playing, you know, two other people that can push you, you know, instead of instead of 20. Um, and I would assume it's probably, a, that's probably a, not exactly the same in England, but I still think it's, it's probably the problem lies there a little bit. 
Um, and the other thing is, it's just like, we need to focus on what we're good at. You know, we want to focus on if, if you've not got as many good players, you need to improve the skills. You know, we need to have the highest level of skill and, and we need to be fundamentally the most sound. And going back to Gareth, I think that's why Gareth's been so successful in basketball. You know, even though he, back in the day, he was probably a, a guy who could run and jump pretty high. Like, Gareth didn't play in a GB team until he was, what, you know, 31, 32 mm-hmm. And it's not because he could, you know, run high, um, run fast and jump high. It's because he understands the game perfectly. He knows about spacing. He knows about team defense, you know, and that's something that I think Scottish Scottish players and British players need to know if they want to succeed, you know, at the next level. Because you only by succeeding at the next level can you kind of inspire the next generation to to be better at basketball, in my opinion. I mean, you had that inspirational figure in a sense with Keith and you know, Keith and the, and the Edinburgh Rocks before they went to camp through to Glasgow. But you know, one of the great shooters in the in the BBL, and I guess someone who knew, get me the ball in the right spot, I will get open, I will dine a three pointer, and you know that was that was I suppose the epitome of someone knowing the role. And you used to watch. I mean, how how useful was that to have him, and what what did you take from sort of what he did on the court? Um, I mean, my brother is as good as a as good as a shooter as he was. He, you know, he, he'll never be as good a shooter as he is a brother. He was a great, just a great person. And there's a lot of people who say that's a lie because Keith said absolute whatever. But um, <laughs> but no, Keith is a great brother to me, and he really is. You know, fifty percent of the reason my dad beat another fifty probably that basketball is as much of a you know passion for me as it is. But watching him grow up, whether I was at Meadowbank or at Brayhead. You know, the funny thing is that not many people will know is, you know, that wasn't how basketball was 20 years ago. Um, and that's, you know, a lot of topic in the NBA is about how the game has changed. You know, it's exactly the same in the BBL. There was big guys, you know, back to the basket stuff, dribbling in the lane, penetration, looking for layups and easy scores. And Keith was pretty unique in that he was only, th- he was a three-point specialist, you know. He'd come on and, you know, you would see teams gravitate towards him once they figured out that you know he was a shooter they'd be like all right you know number nine's on the floor or bunions on the court like you can't leave him alone so i think keith was a little bit ahead of his time almost you know he probably could have been even more valuable to a bbl team today um as just purely a scorer but uh, purely a shooter um but watching him grow up and kind of knowing that your brother was on the court and if you got the ball on that three-point line like everyone was going to panic and be like oh you know, where's behind you? It's quite a, a good thing to know that, that he could in, instill panic in teams just by a, a three-point shot. So um, he's a great player and I loved watching him and I really think that being young, definitely in Meadowbank, like Meadowbank was a great atmosphere and um, that certainly inspired me to want to play for the Rocks one day. Yeah, he definitely left the BBL way, way too soon. But uh, yeah, still still trotting around. So, yeah, maybe a step slower at the, at the Fury these days. But uh, yeah, he can still shoot it. He definitely still shoot it. Um, still shoot it, yeah. The, there's this debate at the moment. There's a Facebook group, which I'm sure you'll have heard of, Scottish Basketball Through the Years. And, and there's this debate going on that's been quite interesting to, to follow and partake in a yeah. little bit about the pathway for for Scottish players and this applies to players from, from England as well you you 
you had the different experiences. You were a GB under twenty international, so you were part of that GB program. You also played for Scotland at you know what was then I think the Small Nations, and again of course at the Commonwealth Games at Gold Coast a couple of years ago. There's that pathway issue that that people are debating now about you know in the in the old days Scotland and Wales could have played at you know a Division C level in in Europe and GB teams have have supplanted that that there, there isn't. That Scotland England teams playing that I guess was sort of promised before before the unification in, in around London twenty twelve. How do you see that that difficulty or that challenge for for a player coming you know through the system? Now? I mean, what what did you benefit from, and does the system as it stands now work as well as it could do to to kind of give our young talent exposure? The kind of exposure as you said that you don't get other than maybe clusters of two or three players rather than 10, 20 players playing at a, a high and competitive level. Yeah, I mean, that's such a, it's such a massive question. It's got so many different avenues to, to go down, you know, and I think the easiest thing for me to say, I was never a fan of, of getting rid of the Scotland teams or, or the Wales teams, if you like, as well. I never was a fan of that because, you know, that was my whole childhood, basically, was growing up, was always wanted to be in these Scotland teams and you know it's easy for us to look back and say as an adult and say oh you know you were great you went to a Euro C you know and, and won or came second in a Euro C or, or you came 18th in a Euro B you know that doesn't mean anything when you're an adult but when you're 13, 14 years old that actually means quite a lot to people you know it, it's an experience for for young kids to get to put on their their Scotland jersey and play for their country and that's you know that was something that gave me great pride uh, and it gave me great pride in Australia a couple of years ago um, and it's never left me um, so I think taking away that kind of opportunity for Scottish kids isn't the right move for me but like I said it's a big question you know I've and I know that basketball Scotland are they try their best but at the same time you know, if you look at Scotland teams in the last couple of years, they've had Scotland teams that have had about 30 players in them. So then you're taking away any kind of sense of, you know, I worked hard to get to that team. I mean, you were in a team with 30 players in it. So, you know, that's not very, you know, you've not really accomplished much. There's about 100 players in Scotland at your age. Well, you're one of the best 30. It's not not that big a deal. So it's such a double, double-edged sword, in my opinion, Um the best route to take. I, I definitely think there needs to be a reward for our better players in Scotland. Um, you know where they can shine and they can get an opportunity to go and play. But at the same time, you know you need to be realistic about what the avenues and pathways are going to be. You know, will Scotland under eighteens, under sixteens, or Wales under eighteens, under sixteens ever be teams that are competing? Let's just say to win a Euro B title it's going to be very difficult, you know, very, very difficult. Um, and is it good enough just having one or two Scottish guys playing for GB every year? Pro- in my opinion, no, probably not. You need to have a, a better system. Um, but it's such a difficult thing. For me, you know, I yeah, I had, I had the kind of couple of years GB under 20, but... My experience was all kind of mainly Scot- Scotland, you know. I had a great experience in GB um, a couple of summers, uh, and I think that improved me a lot as a player, but my experience has always been mainly Scotland. 
Um, and I think it, it kind of is a little bit about to do with the player as well. It's like, how much do I want to pursue basketball? You know, do I want to turn 18 and kind of be done with it? And you can't really judge anyone for saying they want to be done with it at 18 because there's not a lot of, you know, pathways after, you, after you're 18, you know. So such a difficult question with so many answers. But for me, I think there needs to be Scottish national teams, Wales national teams, etc. Because um, I think that is something that kids will still want to do, for sure. And it's going to give them great experience when they're young, um, building relationships, friends and, and playing for their country. I suppose, I mean, if you, if you look at the broader picture, I mean, you, you look at particularly Kieran, you know, from someone up close to you, you know, would a Scottish player get to play in Eurobaskets or potentially qualify for Olympics, you know, without a GB team? The answer is almost certainly no. But I think, you know, if you look, if we went back, you know, 10 years, there was always kind of this system that, you know, there would be Scot there would be Scotland teams, there would be Welsh teams, there would be England teams, particularly at youth level, they'd play each other every year, they'd maybe travel to tournaments. So, you know, even though they might not be playing in official FIBA tournaments, they would still be active. Mm. That's not that's not really happened. And that's pro- possibly the thing that, that has, it's that was in the control of all the governing bodies to make that happen. England, to be fair, probably had more of it than, than the other two you know, home nations in Britain. But I guess that's still the thing. That it, when you see this debate at the minute, it, it could be done. It's just not being done. Yeah, like, I mean, it's very simple to do, you know. It's not like there's any great travel involved and, you know, you can put people up, you can put teams up somewhere. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a massive um, conversation and I don't, you know, for one second ever claim to have anywhere near the amount of information that other people will do on it. Um, But for me, it's, it's not great. It's not a great system right now. And I I personally don't know how to make it better. I just know that I would always want to have, like if I had a son or, or even my nephews, Jay and Josh, I would like them to have the opportunity to play for, for Scotland like I did. Um, but I think the more we kind of fumble around with our system and we're not sure what we're doing with it, the more it's going to alienate players, it's going to alienate parents and, and eventually, you know, they might take their their kids away to play in different countries, or take or send them down to England for um, you know the academies down there, which a lot of them are very successful. You know, we just don't have anything like it in Scotland right now. I mean, even despite coming through, you know, a really good program, what I mean, you, academies has always been seen as the role model, and yeah, you know, you've seen guys that have come up and come come back, etc., played with them, you know, even for Scotland. What from a from a development point of view, and this isn't just a Scottish thing, this is a British thing. What what could more could be done for guys like yourself who, you know, could could have gone maybe to college, but you know, depending what kind of college, but you know, ideally at home soil, you get the development you need, you get the pathway you need. What's what's the missing link at the moment? Um, I mean when I was when I was growing up, I mean I was in the institute for most of my time when I was growing up, I think I was in the Institute of Sport my whole teenage years, and that was a great help for me, um, you know, lifting weights and having proper gym programmes and even di- even dietitians, nutritionists, all this stuff. The Institute of Sport was great, and, I'm sh- and I know they have a, a similar programme in England, uh, potentially in Wales as well. So I, I really enjoyed that. And then I was kind of, we were kind of taken out that programme, um, 
maybe about seven or eight years ago now, uh, with more of a focus on, you know, kind of specialist sports, you know, obviously high medal potential sports. So, you know, a lot of the funding got lost and funding's always going to be a, a big issue probably for basketball. Um, but I think competition is probably the thing that people lack the most is good competition. You know, I'm not sure how how the English leagues are. They're probably a lot more competitive than here. But, you know, if you had a great Kings team, a great Fury team, a great St Mirren team, you know, you're really only looking at them having a couple of competitive games every year because they're playing other teams and, you know, beating teams by 40, 50 points. And no one's really getting better in that situation. So if if we could find a way to get our best players in Scotland and England and Wales and and you know anywhere else to compete against each other more regularly i think would would see a great improvement in our skills overall because i'm a big believer that you learn the most in games and you benefit the most out of games but you know not if those games are are pointless games we need to have more you know challenging games for our for our better players and and you know need to push them a bit more than probably what they get and that's why we're always going to be kind of behind the eight ball with other countries whose who players are getting pushed every, every single day basically, other players, uh, other countries you know. Yeah, I still think there's room for a sort of British Cup system at all levels to give players at least you know, three or four games, five games a year to, to, to play against the best of the best in the country and see who it becomes but it's been one of those many ideas that's been talked about and quietly disappeared on someone's intro never to be seen again Final thing, obviously coaching as well as playing has been in the family the tradition now is that something in, in in the fullness of time that you see yourself going into um i would definitely i would definitely like to um i don't know whether that is i don't know what level that will be at um my um you've asked me a tough question there mark i just don't know what level that will be at i think i think me and my brother will definitely have a big influence on in the fury um at some point in our lives you know right now i don't think my, my dad ever sees himself not being the head coach at Falkirk fury basketball but uh one day you know me and my brother will, will kind of i'm sure take the reins of that um, or it could but be your sister let's think you know, you know all opportunities are out there now yeah of course i mean kim, <laughs> kim is uh well kim would certainly put her uh, put her opinion in that's for sure i'll tell you that about <laughs> kim um but yeah but it also could be something to do with the BBL. I mean, I'm a big supporter of, uh, of the Rocks, uh, regardless of whether I was playing or not. Yeah, I'm always going to support the Rocks because it's Scotland at the end of the day. Um, but I would love to be involved in coaching the Rocks as well. Um, hopefully a few more years in the league as a player, um, and then we'll see where things go from there. But um, I've done a lot of coaching. I've done a lot of youth coaching so far, um, and I've really enjoyed it. So, yeah, we'll see how things go. I definitely think it's in the future. I'm just not sure where about. Well, now you've got parcels to deliver. We hope that new contract's delivered very, very soon, and uh, we'll see when the league starts. But um, thanks for joining us on the MVP cast, Johnny Bunny. Yeah, Mark, thanks very much. That's it for this edition. Brought to you with our sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance. Give them a wee follow on social media at T Compliance Limited. Don't forget you can get all our previous editions at MVP247.com or subscribe via your preferred podcast provider. And if you've got time, please leave us a review, preferably a really nice one. Or if you want to get in touch, reach out to me via Twitter at Mark Brickball.
Another edition of the MVP cast coming very, very soon. But for me, Mark Woods, it's bye for now.